stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite World Talk radio shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Hello, this is Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. It's nice to have you here, and regardless of where you are or what time it is, you can, we can still get together, and I think that's really an exciting concept. I remember when we got news a week after it happened, and now we know it almost as it happens. Wherever you are on the planet, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. We are here basically to have a good time, to talk about how we can do better, how we can be better, how we can have a happier and more fulfilled life. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. I know you, some of you who are new are possibly wondering why on earth do we play Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy, and there's a real reason for that, actually. When you do some self-improvement work, when you're on a self-improvement path, at some point you begin to set some boundaries, you begin to take your power back, and you also learn that it's okay to say no. Some of the people that you've been with for a long time may not like it that you say no. That's okay. They'll get used to it. And you may find that you start collecting a whole new batch of friends uh, or the friends that you have now will come to respect you more and learn to accept that no because that it's a good thing. We always find that it's a good thing. And we're going to talk some about saying no and complaining today, so um, just settle in and you know, feel at home on this one today. We're looking for sponsors who'd like to have exposure on this show and also on the self-improvement blog. If you're interested, call Scott Duffy at Voice America or contact me through the email at self-improvement blog. I always have to acknowledge our engineer, Chad. He makes it all work, and when things don't work, Somehow he fixes it so it does, and I always want to thank Chad. If you're interested in having your own radio show, you might possibly want to consider Voice America first. They're the pioneer in Internet talk radio. I've known them since they were in a tiny little almost phone book in Tempe, Arizona, called Boom, and they were called Boombox. They've grown up beautifully, and they're on the cutting edge of everything that's happening in Internet Radio, so you might want to give them a try. Next week's guest is Mike O'Mary, 
Mike is the founder of the Note Project. It's a campaign to make the world a million times better, and he wants to do that by inspiring at least one million people to share notes of appreciation with others. Great idea, and I'm looking forward to talking to Mike O'Mary and seeing what we can do to help appreciate each other more. Today we have Dr. Guy Winch. I'm looking at his book. It's right in front of me here. Wonderful cover, A Squeaky Wheel. He's a psychotherapist, a gifted playwright, and a stand-up comedian. And if that isn't a wonderful combination, I've never seen one. I always thought psychotherapists were a little funny, and now I know they are. Really. He's going to share with us the art of effective complaining. He claims that if we complain correctly and effectively, the amount of complaining we need to do will be greatly reduced. Wouldn't that be wonderful (laughs) that we don't have to complain and we don't have to listen to so many either? He's going to talk about his new book, The Squeaky Wheel, Complaining the Right Way to Get Results, Improve Your Relationships, and Enhance Self-Esteem. Yep, Enhance Self-Esteem. We do a lot of talk about self-esteem on this show, and you'll see that this is a key player in self-esteem. It is really such an honor, such a pleasure, a delight to welcome you to this show, Guy. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. I didn't know you were going to have a British accent. (laughs) (laughs) I was born in London, actually, and uh, raised all over the place. But yeah, so this is the remnants of uh, the accent. It's lovely. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Let, let, our, let our listeners know a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and how you got to be these three delightful things, the psychotherapist, a playwright, and a, ca- a comedian. Well, I, as I said, I was born in uh, London. Um, I uh, came to the States to get my uh, doctorate uh, in psychology and uh, the, legally. By the way, these days I always point out. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I uh, started a private practice pretty soon after uh, graduating, and I started noticing how people would talk about complaints. I mean, obviously, people go to therapists, they talk about all kinds of complaints, but people would talk a lot about consumer complaints, and when I would ask them, well, did you do something about this or that, they would say, no, there's no point, the company doesn't care, or this won't work. And I would hear the same kinds of things when they spoke about their relational complaints to their spouse or to their sibling or to their friend. And I would say, well, did you voice that concern or that complaint to that person? And they would say, no, there's no point, they don't care. Really the same kind of rationalization uh, in both those domains as consumers and as private citizens. So I was always interested from the beginning of my practice in this issue of complaining and how we went about complaining. Um, now, really, the, the comedy came about uh, pretty much after 9-11. I, I do live in New York City, and after 9-11, I felt I really needed some kind of balance of uh, levity in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, angst and drama in, in being uh, a psychologist in terms of what you're exposed to, and then living in New York City at that time was, was even more of that. So I... Um, thought maybe I'll do one of those classes in stand-up comedy, you know, where you, you take a few classes, you perform at the end before friends and the relatives, and uh, you get it on video, and that's it, you're done. So that seemed like a good idea at the time, and that's what I did. Um, but I found I really enjoyed it, and I kind of got the bug a little bit, so decided to stay with it and keep performing. 
So how then, often do you do a stand-up routine? Do you have a re- you know, some regular gigs? I was working pretty regularly, really, until I started writing the book. And then the number of hours in the day got the best of me. Uh, and in addition, I found that writing uh, psychology or self-help and writing jokes is such a different mindset that when I was writing the book, I wasn't thinking of any jokes. And beforehand, when I was writing a lot of comedy, jokes would come to me all the time. So I decided to, you know, downshift to a lower gear with the comedy. I still go up and do some shows every once in a while, but at the moment, much less than I was doing before I started working on the book. Well, there's a couple things I want to comment on. One, I really admire you for your stand on not using anything from your psychotherapy practice in your stand-up routines, and I, I read that in the book. I know that there's a lot of funny stuff that happens in your office and would really be grist for your comedy we, uh, mill, but uh, I, I have to say thank you for not doing that. Well, I really felt that, um, I mean, actually, there, there were two things there. First, I really felt that I did not in any way want anyone to come to my office as a psychologist and have to ask themselves the question, oh, uh, is this going to end up in a, in a, in a comedy routine? I exactly. Just felt that it just wouldn't be fair, number one. But number two, and the most importantly, when I'm working as a psychologist, I'm not looking at things in that light. I'm really trying to listen very empathically and sympathetically, and what might strike me as funny if I heard it somewhere else does not strike me as funny when I hear it in the office. So I just found those things to be so separate. It was easy for me to decide I'm really keeping those two things entirely, entirely separate. Well, I think that would truly be a great comfort to your clients. Uh, the other thing is that your book has tremendous humor in it. I, I didn't want to miss a page because I didn't want to miss the humor. And it, it's not there in a the form of a joke, but it's just really quite delightful and makes the book much easier to read than if it didn't have that little vein of humor in it. Tell us about your playwriting. Um, I, I, my undergraduate degree was actually in film, um, and so I was always interested in film uh, and in screenwriting. And, I, that, and after I graduated and started my practice, I've always been one of those people who needs to have you know, two things that I do. No, I can't focus entirely just on one. It seems too limiting. So at that time, I decided I'll, I'll write some screenplays on the side, um, and I started doing that and started working on, on some of those. And screenplays are the kind of thing that you write once, then you rewrite, then you rewrite, then you have people read them, then you rewrite them again. They're, they're always a work in progress, as it were. Uh, so I, I chose a few that I really liked of the ones that I, I had and really worked on those. Um, started sending them out to competitions, international competitions, and they started doing pretty well. And I started getting calls from producers and uh, working with some people on, on some of those screenplays. As is the case uh, often, you know, every single one of them worked until the company went out of business, their latest <laughs> movie flopped, the producer d- died. I mean, there was always something that happened. Um, so n- none of them were ever produced, but um, they were really enjoyable to work on and exciting, and I think it taught me a lot uh, about all kinds of different things. So it's, it's something that I really enjoy and hope to maybe get back to at some point. Well, you're in the right place in the, in the world to do that. So, you know, if you need encouragement, I, I encourage you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We talked a little bit about the fact that you became aware of complaining when you first started your practice. 
um, how do you work with complaints in your practice? Do you, do you now teach them those concepts in your book, or you know, just how do you go about hand dealing with them with your with your patients, your clients? Well, I, I do a couple of things. First of all, I'm one of those psychologists that, that I have a, a, a notepad and a pen, um, but it's not by my chair. It's by the couch. And at times I'll help people. I'll say, okay, if you want to really complain in the right way, here's what you need to say. And I'm, I'm not above dictating the right language, especially if it's to a company or if it's to, to some kind of, you know, as consumers, because rather than tell them how to do it and then have to go home and figure it out, I'll just say, no, this is the right thing to say. And sometimes people really lack that language. And so when you suggest to them, you know, these are the words you can use, it's something they can really benefit from. Um, but I use it in two ways. I use it with individuals because uh, half my practice is individuals and half are, is couples and families. And so with individuals, I'll, you know, it, when it's a personal complaint, I will really talk to them about why they feel resistant to voice it, why they feel so uh, passive about the fact that if they actually articulate the complaint to the person, especially if it's a spouse or someone really important, that if they say it the right way, they'll probably get through to the person because we really fear, part of our complaining psychology is such, that we're too afraid to voice our complaints because we're utterly convinced they won't work. And that is a misconception most of the time. Hold so that thought, Guy. It's time for us to take a break. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest, Guy Winch. We'll be right back, so stay tuned. You don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Follow the World Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at World Talk Radio. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the World Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash World Talk Radio or follow along with us at World Talk Radio, the World Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? If you are dealing with chronic illness or a disability, at times you can feel lost with nowhere to turn. It doesn't have to be this way at all. You can become an active participant with your doctor in the healing process. Tune in to A Healthy Way to Be Sick with host Mark Lerner. Mark has developed techniques to make your healing a partnership. Each weekly show will cover four main topics and how you can take steps and hear from experts that know the value of patient participation. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. 
This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest, Guy Winch, who's a psychologist, a playwright, a comedian, and the author of A Squeaky Wheel. And we know what the squeaky wheel gets. In this case, it gets a lot of good information about how to make an effective complaint. We were talking about how he works with his patients in his therapy practice. I'd like for you to tell us that story, Guy, that you started your book with. Um, when you just moved into your new apartment in New York. I'll be happy to. Um, I was actually saying about my patients that, that we, we have a uh, psychology about complaining, which is very defeatist in general. We tend to not voice complaints because we think they won't work. And that was what was happening here in my uh, building. I, I moved into this building maybe eight, eight, nine years ago now, and it was at the height of the real estate boom in New York City. And there was, it was a tall building that faced south and had no buildings in front of it. That's a rarity in New York City to get actually southern exposures, which are unobstructed. You're usually looking into someone else's apartment. Um, so I moved in, and I noticed that downstairs was an empty lot. So everyone in the building knew it was only a matter of time before some developer purchased that lot and built another building on it, which is what happened. But what we didn't know is that the building that would be built, really 20 feet away from ours, um, was going to have an underground garage. And what that meant is that they had to bore into the uh, bedrock uh, much deeper and much longer. And this is a slab of bedrock that if someone is boring into it 20 feet away, the whole building rattled. Uh, you know, your, dish, your dishes rattle in the kitchen, your photographs migrate off the shelves, your books fall down, your pictures rearrange themselves, and the noise is so substantial, you can't even make a phone call. It started at 7 o'clock in the morning until oh. 5 o'clock at night, and this was six days a week. On Saturday, they were supposed to start only at 8, but they usually started at 7.30. So it was torturous. And everyone on the south side of the building had much more exposure to the noise. And everyone started complaining and calling our landlord and saying, wow, you really have to do something or give us a rent abatement because this is, you know, cruel and unusual punishment, as it were. And the landlord said, well, I'm really sympathetic, but that's not my building that's going up. You do live in New York City. Buildings will go up around you when you do. So, so sorry, there's nothing I can do. And uh, so the whole building was complaining and, and got nothing for it. And then there was one, and I didn't even bother complaining because I had that same mindset of really what's the point. But there was one day, it just got so bad, I decided, oh, I'll just try. And I sat down and I tried to construct the best complaint letter I could construct. And I really what I was asking for was a reduction in my rent. But I knew I had no grounds to do that on. I mean, there, there, you know, there was no liability on the landlord's part. But I wrote a what I thought was a well-constructed complaint letter and got a call the next day from the management company saying, we got your letter, it was really well written, here's a rent abatement. And they gave me a rent abatement which was substantial and went on for many, many months past even the, the construction. Um, and it made me think, uh, that specific incident, about, wow, when you really do complain effectively, you can get so far uh, and that... Everyone in the building was complaining, and this is a multi-story building. There were many, many people complaining who got nothing. But if you actually just put your mind to doing it the right way and you have the right tools and the right know-how, you can get results. And it really got me interested then in, well, what does the research tell us 
about complaining. Is there any research into this at all? What does psychology think? It's not something they teach in graduate school, you know, uh, the psychology of complaining. Um, no, so there's not even a complaining 101 anywhere. <laughs> there's really nothing. I mean, there's, there's, it's not regarded at all. So I just went to the library and started reading, and the more I read, the more I became interested, because, you know, the studies were, ta- were saying things like that when, a, when we buy a certain kind of product from the store and we're dissatisfied with it, um, or it's the wrong size, it doesn't fit, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, whatever the problem is broken, whatever the problem would be, that 95% of us do not complain about that, even though we're really frustrated, and we don't complain because we believe it will be too much time and effort to complain successfully, so we don't. Ironically, that 95% of the people then go and voice that story to 10 to 16 on average of their friends and acquaintances. They go over the story over and over again, getting re-frustrated and re-annoyed every single time, con- uh, spending considerable time and effort on complaining, except not the five minutes it would have taken them to write an email to the company executive that could have fixed it for them. Interesting. What was in your letter that was not in the other letters. You, you said that many of the people there complained but got nothing. So what was the key? The, there were two keys, I think. The first key was that I was not being demanding or angry in any kind of way. I think uh, approaching any kind of complaint with civility, with kindness, with compassion um, is much, much more effective than complaining in anger. When we complain in anger, whether we are justified or not, and even if we are very justified, all that does is orient the person towards the fact that we're angry, and it makes them really draw attention away from what we're actually angry about. So they note, oh, they're angry, or they're hostile, or they're aggressive, but they miss the actual point. So in my letter, I was very non-demanding. I made pains to say, I know this is not your responsibility. I know this is not your building. I know you're not responsible for the noise, and I know you're under no obligation to do anything about it. However, my standard of living has been changed so drastically, I really thought I would appeal to you to see if you felt it was something you could do to compensate me for that, even though, again, I know it's not your fault, not your responsibility, and that you're under no obligation at all to do that. So I really was just very direct, but very clear that this is not a demand, I'm not expecting it, I'm just appealing to the kindness of their heart uh, and to the reason of the situation to see if they'd be willing to take some kind of step, you know, uh, to, to make things easier. Um, but it wasn't demanding, and everyone else called in anger and frustration. They were demanding. They thought they deserved. And it was clear to me that, you know, we don't have a leg to stand on in that way. It's not, it's not their responsibility. And so now you've had this wonderful experience, and this, is this what set you to the library, sent you to the library, or had you already been doing some of this studying before you made this complaint? Well, beforehand, I had been doing some of the studying in terms of the psychology research, but what I had not been looking at, for example, is this consumer research, which is, which is much more, um, you know, it has much more in it about complaints than the psychology research does. And so when I started putting all those things together, it did seem that we have a psychological mindset when it comes to complaints that is an umbrella mindset that encompasses both our lives as consumers 
and our personal relationships because in our personal relationships we have the same mindset. We believe there's no point in telling my husband what's upsetting to me or my wife what's upsetting to me or my sister or my parent or my child because it won't make a difference. They'll just start an argument so I won't even say anything about it. Or if we do, we come at it so aggressively and so, you know, with such anger that it's not productive. So we make the same mistakes in both those domains. And that's when it occurred to me there's something much more general going on here about our psychology that is not just about relationships or about our life as consumers, but there's something just much more general going on in what our perception is of complaints. Interesting. And I would say then that we pay a, a price. What is the price we pay for not knowing how to complain right? Well, I think that in general, um, and this is something I'm sure your listeners you know, know because this is what your show is really about, is that when we walk around the world feeling powerless, feeling that we can't have an impact on the things that really bother us, feeling that we don't have a voice about the things that we would like to change, that does damage to our self-esteem. That does not make us feel good. And when we complain so much today, which we all do, but get so little from it, get so few results from all these complaints, that's the message we are giving ourselves. We have all these frustrations, we have all these problems, and here we are, we can't do anything about them because it won't work, or there's no point, or it'll cause an argument, or it'll be too much trouble, whatever the excuse is. And that makes us feel powerless, and that makes us fe- our self-esteem uh, lower, and it makes us feel unempowered and ineffective. And it really does have an impact on how we feel about ourselves in our surroundings. And I'm sure most people have had the experience that when they have been able to voice a complaint, call a, a, a bank and get that late fee removed, or call the cell phone company and get the charge reduced, or, or voice a complaint to their spouse and have them actually listen, acknowledge, and say, okay, I get you, I'll change that, that is an incredibly empowering feeling that really makes us feel like, huh, we can take things on. It really has an impact way beyond the actual event. Um, so it works both ways. When we don't complain effectively, we pay the price psychologically and emotionally. But when we do, it's a significant boost. It really does wonders for us, for our self-esteem, for our outlook, and for our relationships. And that's the absolute truth. I, I won a little skirmish with AT&T not long ago, and I felt wonderful about it. Yeah. And, and the, the fellow actually listened to me and, and took care of the problem right then. And um, it really is empowering. In your book, you talk about learned helplessness um, and how it can be such a powerfully negative mindset. Talk a little bit about that in terms of complaining and learning to complain properly. Well, learned helplessness refers to this mindset that we get as people, that when we try at certain tasks and fail, uh, because we feel that the outcome is out of our control, we stop trying. Because we feel if the outcome is out of our control, we, we don't even have to try. And so we learn to be helpless in certain situations. So if somebody's calling uh, AT&T, for example, you had a good experience. But if somebody's calling once and they're trying to get something done and they cannot, and then they try again and they try and get something done and they cannot, it's very likely they won't call a third time. They'll learn to be helpless because they'll feel, oh, this is just out of my control. It's just impossible to get that matter resolved. And our complaining psychology is very entwined with learned helplessness because, because we use complaints mostly to vent and not to get results. We indeed might vent, but we don't 
get anything for it. Nothing really changes. We don't get things resolved. And so we slowly teach ourselves to be helpless. We slowly learn to be helpless when it comes to our complaints. That's what that mindset is about, feeling like, oh, there's no point complaining because it won't work anyway. And that has a huge impact because learned helplessness is something that's been shown to be extremely closely tied to low self-esteem, to depression, to pessimism, and to all kinds of health concerns. It's a, it's a hugely important construct in our psychology. And, and that is an absolute fact. And you know what another fact is? So we have to take another break now, Guy. So we'll be right back after a short commercial break. Stay tuned for more with Guy Winch. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. To succeed in life today, you have to respond well to change and be willing to take chances. On Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan and her sidekick, daughter Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations with live interviews with trailblazers, authors, and experts. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on the Power Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Variety. For positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio, it's Star Style. Be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Guy Winch. And before we get started back in our conversation, Guy, tell us how people can find you on the Internet and how they can find your book. Uh, My book should be in bookstores everywhere and certainly online on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, um, you know, all all the online bookstores and also in stores. Um, If your local store is an independent bookstore and they don't have it, you can ask them to order it. They usually would be happy to do that. My website is guywinch.com. That's G-U-Y-W-I-N-C-H.com, where there's information about the book. But I also blog about the topic of complaining and how it affects us. And I tell some personal stories about how I'm applying some of these tools in my own life. So there's some amusing and interesting articles there as well. And that's an interesting site. And, and I have to say to the people who are listening to this, that the book is an absolute delightful read. It's incredibly informative, but it's also got such lovely humor in it 
that you won't want to put it down. It's hard to believe that a book about complaints and complaining can also be enjoyable. It is. It truly is. And I really recommend it. I, I think it should be in every library. I think every senior in high school should read it before they graduate, or it should be used as a text in college. I like your book, Guy. Thank you so much. <laughs> I like your book a lot. Thank you so much. Um, give us some tips. Some companies make it really hard for you to get your complaint stated and certainly to be heard. Give us some tips how we can deal with that. Well, some companies actually do make it hard, and, you know, shame on them for doing that because it actually costs their bottom line. So it's not just, you know, unfortunate for us. It's, it's not wise for them. But nonetheless, they do. They have these things called planned inconvenience worked into their customer service where they make it so inconvenient for you to get through, they hope people will give up, and many, many do. Um, nonetheless, um, companies do usually recognize, certainly at the higher executive level, that uh, customers are their bread and butter and that long-term customers and loyal customers are very valuable to them because they know that it's much more expensive for them to recruit new customers through advertising than to retain existing ones. So if you really run into some problems, um, you can always go up the food chain. And by the way, I kind of believe in not going up the chain, but starting at the bottom, and then if that doesn't work, just leaping straight to the top. I, I don't believe in working your way up there, one executive middle manager at a time. But let's start with the bottom. So when you call a customer service hotline, um, where you're getting is you're, you're, you're getting some call center that is usually not located in the company headquarters. It might even be outsourced and not related to the company entirely. It's populated with entry-level employees uh, who have very little experience and who are doing their jobs by reading scripts from a, from a computer screen, which is telling them what to do and mostly what to say at certain junctures. So you need to understand that there are limitations in what their authority is, number one, what their understanding is, number two. And the other thing you need to understand is that the research shows us that on average, these people field something like 10 hostile calls a day from customers. And hostile oh. means cursing, yelling, threats, really nasty, nasty stuff. So that's what they deal with on a regular basis. I say this because if you actually then approach them with kindness and with civility and with compassion, and even if you're very frustrated, say things like, I really apologize if I sound frustrated. I'm just really upset about what happened, though I'm really clear it was not your fault personally and that you're here to help me. So please excuse me if I sound irritated. It is absolutely not at you. And that kind of disclaimer will, is important because it tells them, I know you're my friend, I know you're here to help, and the idea is to get them to do the best they can for you. And when we come at them with, it's your fault that whatever happened, when they don't, it's not their fault. It's they're not just, their fault, no. They're just some poor person trying to make it through school or a single parent or whatever it is. So when we're kind to them, they actually really appreciate it, and they'll warm up, and they'll do their best for you. Now, admittedly, at times, that won't be sufficient. Um, either, even if you're nice, they're having a really bad day because the caller before you just said horrible things to them on the phone, or whatever it would be. So if you're, you can always ask to speak to a supervisor and say politely, I again believe, um, look, I'm, I know you're trying to help me. I just don't feel we're really getting anywhere. May I speak to your supervisor, please? But if that doesn't work, you can go online, Google the company, or go to the Better Business Bureau's website, which is bbb.org. Look up the company, and they will give you 
the names of the company principals and their addresses, email and phone. And then I would just craft the letter directly to the top. Go to the CEO, go to the, to the, uh, the person in charge, the chief operating officer, the customer service officer, whatever it would be that you can find, and just write to them directly. And in many cases, um, you'll find that you do get a response. I don't know if the CEO will be reading the letter personally, but their assistant will, and they have a much clearer idea of the value of the customer. So it's important to indicate in your letter, if you are, that you are and have been a loyal customer. You're a long-term customer, if that is the case. So it's clear to the company that, oh, we don't want to lose this person. Let's see what we can do for them. It must make a tremendous difference for those poor people. I think about this every now and then, those poor people in that room answering the phone, getting all these complaints, especially when they're so harsh. When people begin to use the principles in your book, it must make their life much, much better. I know you speak to this in your book. Yes, I really hope it does, because, again, these people usually, I mean, they're the... They are single parents or students or people really trying to get by. They are, and they have a, such a difficult job. They get very little training, usually you know, a week or two. And then they have to deal with these customers, and they're really shackled because, you know, in these jobs, everything is measured uh, by the computer. So you can't go to the bathroom without asking to be, you know, out because then you have to have your calls rerouted. So you are monitored electronically as if you're under house arrest. It's really that, that strict there, and you have to go by the scripts on your screen, even if they're not making sense to you either. You know, so there's, and there's very little you can do when someone starts cursing at you. You certainly can't curse back. You'll get fired. So you have to take it or try and you know, manage it in some way. It's an extremely difficult job, and it doesn't pay that great. So it, no, really and the demanding. turnover must be horrendous. Right. The turnover is horrendous. It's one of the highest turnover rates in any industry. That's why we keep getting new people who are inexperienced. That's why we keep getting angry at them because they don't seem to know what they're doing because we scared off the last one. Right, and they may never have seen the product, so they may not even really know what you're talking about. Oh, no, they have not seen the product. They're not sitting in the same state even. Now, this works with these kind of complaints, but what about between a married couple or your best friend and you? So in, for, for personal complaints, I advocate using um, the, the structure I call the complaint sandwich. Oh, I was hoping we'd get to the complaint sandwich. Yes, and it's a, it's a simple structure. It's a simple technique that really makes any complaint more effective. And what we do is we sandwich our complaint between two positive statements. The first positive statement I call the ear opener, and that's its goal because it's a natural human response to get defensive when we're fielding a complaint. Even if it's said to us nicely, we naturally get defensive. So we want the complaint recipient to focus on what we're saying and not get too defensive. So if we start with a positive statement like, oh, honey, I know you've been making a lot of efforts in this regard, but, or look, our, my, our relationship is really important to me, so I thought it would be good if we could talk about something that happened, or some kind of positive statement. The person is likely to be less defensive and have their ears open to the meat of the sandwich, which is our actual complaint. And, and for the meat of the sandwich, we need our meat to be lean, and we don't need to marinate it in, in anger or in sarcasm or in attitude, because all that will do is cause the person to get defensive, stop listening, start planning their rebuttal, and we actually want them to listen to what we're saying. And one of the, compl- one of the problems with married couples 
is that the longer they've been together, the more they assume that if they're upset about something, their spouse must know what they did to upset them. And that's not the case. That's much, it's less likely to be the case more than it is. So you have to articulate clearly what it is that happened. And too often couples will say things like, well, you know why I'm upset. No, the other I person don't. will be like, yeah. um, I can guess several things. <laughs> I don't know which one you mean. <laughs> So we expect it, our spouse to be a mind reader. We, but it's very natural that we do, but they're not. Um, and it's much clearer to say, no, it's actually just this. So, and the other mistake we make you know, with married couples is that you take this running start because the person did this you know, 20 times before. So you don't start with, oh, this happened yesterday. You start with, well, in 1993 you did this, and then in 95 you did it again, and then you give this, the history of the issue, which really only makes the person defensive and doesn't help your cause. Your point is you don't want them to do it again. You make that point clearly enough by just using the most recent incident in a simple way. So the meat of the complaint should be simple and without anger, just clearly this is what happened. It made me upset or angry or insulted or whatever it would be. And then we close with another positive statement, which I call the digestive. And the idea is it's that spoonful of sugar that makes the complaint go down. So if we're finishing with something positive like, so I know this might be hard to hear, but it's really important to me that we can figure this out. The message we give by that is, if we can figure this out, all will be forgiven. So it's an easy solution for you, the complaint recipient, because you just need to acknowledge and work on making things better, and we'll be fine. So that's a much more motivating statement than, and I'll still be angry with you even if you do try and do something about it. Do you have any condiments that go on the sandwich? I, I don't know why. That just came to my mind. There are condiments for the sandwich. Um, uh, you know, it, it depends on the situation. But, for example, if we're broaching something that's been annoying us for a long time, and, but we haven't really mentioned it, we need to um, do something with that in that first positive statement, in that first slice of bread. We can't just say, you know, this annoyed me that you did this yesterday if they've been doing that every day for the past 20 years. We have to explain why now we're saying it and where we didn't before. So we have to take into consideration how this is going to be received on the other end and say, look, this is something that's been bothering me for a while, but I just feel like I, if, if we could work it through, things would be much better between us. Here's what it is. You know, so you might want to spice up certain uh, uh, parts of the sandwich based on the circumstance. But you should also keep it brief, no lectures, don't talk too much, um, and just allow them a chance to absorb what it is you're saying. And the last condiment is ask for what you want. Be specific in what you want them to do. Is it so I really want an apology, or is it so I want you to assure me that you'll make efforts to be mindful and not do this thing again, or I want you to really do this differently, be clear about what you're asking for. Because, again, you might think it's obvious what you need in a situation, but it's not. Verbal but, it's, but it's not. And it's time for us to take another break, so let's hold that thought and come back to it. This is Irene Conlon with the Self-Improvement Show. My guest, Guy Winch, will be right back. you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop take world talk radio on the go and listen anywhere get our mobile app for iphone blackberry or android at the apple itunes app store blackberry app world or android market what's missing in your life 
Do you feel like you've lost your identity? Are you trying to cope with a loss in your life? Are you trying so hard to be a people pleaser? Stop! Invest some time in Dr. Marla Sloan's program, Mind Over Matters. This program will help you find the answers to these questions and more. Dr. Marla's passion is to help people to be the best they can be. And this program does just that. Tune in to Mind Over Matters with Dr. Marla every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show with my guest, Guy Winch, who wrote the book, The Squeaky Wheel, talking about how to complain effectively. We've been talking about how to make a complaint sandwich. In the book, Guy also tells us how to eat a complaint sandwich, and I think that's really important. But I want him, in these last few moments of the show, to talk a little bit about how we can teach our children to complain better. Um, You know, teens and young adults, little children, uh, what a difference it would make if they knew how to do this. How about children, Guy? Well, I think it's a really essential life skill that I think many adults are lacking, but certainly I think it's really important to teach children and really to start with having them think, uh, okay, before you complain, think about what you want to achieve by complaining. If you're upset with something in school, why don't you approach the teacher and tell them as opposed to just come home and tell the parent? In other words, teaching children to be self-sufficient in that way, to encourage them to verbalize complaints when they have them and to do it productively and, again, politely, civilly, you know, to do it respectfully, but to speak up is such an important um, self-esteem and life skill and empowering independence life skills for kids that I think it's one of the most essential things we can teach them, that when you have a problem, speak up to something about it. How young can a child be? I mean, how young can you start teaching them to do this? I really think from school age, you can start teaching children, that even in the home, if they have a complaint, you know, but I, want to stay up, but, but I want this, I want to stay up, or I don't want to have that, whatever the complaint is, you can teach them a different way to verbalize it. With younger kids, one of the things you can do is that when they whine, when they have that whiny tone of voice, you can say, you know what, you have a whiny tone of voice, why don't you say that? not whining, and then I'll be able to hear it. Because when you whine, I don't hear that well. So say that again, but don't whine. And really have them work on the tone of voice. So they say it 
assertively and not in a whine. And that's a good way to start, to teach them that just whining about something is not going to get you anywhere, but saying it clearly and assertively might. Oh, I love that idea. I wish I'd known it when my kids were little. You must see some tremendous change in families when both the, the adults and the children learn how to complain in the right way and deal with each other's complaint in the right way. What, what have you seen? Well, one of the most interesting things is that people start to use shorthand. In other words, when I've taught a family how to use the complaint sandwich, they really usually can't get by the first slice without the other person smiling and saying, "Uh uh-oh, I see a sandwich coming. And so already the tone is so much friendlier and open, and so just tell me what it is. You know, in other words, they see the complaint coming, but they're smiling because they can see by the structure what it's going to be. But then they're less defensive, and they're open to it, and they can laugh about it and joke about it. So it also gives them this language with which they can make it a lighter issue for them and really make it light and easier to discuss in all kinds of ways. Have you seen this ability actually save a marriage and keep a family together? Have you had that experience? Yes, absolutely, because I think most marital arguments begin when complaints are voiced unproductively. So teaching a couple how to complain to each other in a way that, they, that the other person listens and responds is absolutely something that has saved many marriages. I mean, I've seen that in my office. Oh, I would think you'd see a lot of that um, because... It seems that that's when we bristle the most is when our spouse has something about us that they need to complain about. And even with people who are not good, there are some people who are just not great with a sandwich. So they really want to complain about something really emotional. They can't think of the first positive statement, and they end up saying something like, um, I like your blouse now, and then they you know, <laughs> launch into something else. But that actually just makes the other person laugh usually, and so they're more receptive anyway because, okay, it was an effort. I love it. You you also talk. I think we have just a minute to talk about this. You you talk about complaints as a form of social activism. What are some examples of how the right kind of complaining could improve our community, our state, our our country? Well, usually the thing is that if there if there's a rude store clerk in one of our stores in the neighborhood, if there's a if there's a playground that has bad equipment, if there's a missing traffic light somewhere, if, if you know, then it's bothering everyone in the neighborhood. It's bothering the whole community. So when we when no one speaks up, nothing gets done. But it's actually remarkable that it only takes a few people to speak up together and say, no, we're three or four people already who are bothered by that that swing on the playground not working or by that person in the store being rude to everyone who comes in. So if three or four people are going to the manager and saying it, or writing to the municipality and saying it, or approaching the school and saying it, whatever the issue is, action will be taken. It doesn't take that many of us, because so few of us speak up about those things that when three or four people start showing up, it seems like, ooh, this must affect a lot of people. So it doesn't take that many, and we are all troubled by mostly the same things. So if something is troubling you in your neighborhood, in your community, just get a few friends who feel the same way and write separate letters and spread them out a little bit in time in a few days, but send them off together and, and, and you'll see that you will get a response because by the time the fourth letter is arriving or the fourth call or email, the person at the other end is thinking, hmm, how many more do we have to get before we take action? Is it ever effective to go as a group, or is it better to do it individually? I would start individually, actually, because a group seems more threatening. I was going to say that would be 
quite and threatening. It's not necessary to start that way. I'm always for starting in a non-threatening way. So I would just make sure that four or five people wrote letters, spaced them out a few days at a part or whatever it is, make sure they're written correctly and not too angrily and respectfully and with all the necessary detail, and make sure they're addressed to the person that's empowered to make the change. Don't, you know, people, for example, in a restaurant always complain to the cashier on the way out. Well, the cashier is like the lowest person in the totem pole. Speak to the manager, speak to the, to the ombudsman, speak to the person in the municipality that can actually get it done. You know, and this thought just crosses my mind as well. After you've complained and gotten good results, how effective is it? I love to do the attaboy kind of letters. Or the, you know, I complained and this guy really helped me. So his supervisor gets... Um, you know, a note saying, this guy did a really good job and I am appreciative. I may not get the benefit of that, but somebody next that calls might. Do, do you recommend that? I, I don't remember whether that's in your book or not. Well, first of all, I'm thrilled to hear you do it, and I would argue that you do get the benefit of that because doing that makes you feel good. It makes oh, it makes you feel, feel wonderful, yeah. So we do get a benefit from it, even if it's paying forward to the next customer. But it, 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 when we're rewarding somebody for the good they're doing, it, it makes us feel good about ourselves as well. So I'm all for it. And I think, yes, complaints are a form of feedback, but so are compliments. And really, they are equally important. Guy, you know what? It's time for us to end this show. Is there one last word that you'd like to say to our listeners? I would just like to say that you uh, can actually change much more in your lives then you think you might be able to simply by changing how you complain. It seems so simplistic, but it actually does work. So try it, and you'll be amazed at the kind of results you get. It's really worth the effort. Thank you so much for being with us today. I encourage everybody to get the book, The Squeaky Wheel. It's at all the bookstores now and on Amazon.com. And I hope, Guy, that we can have you back again in the future. It would be my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show saying goodbye for today. We'll see you again next week when Mike Mary joins us to talk about the Note Project. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.